Tyler Bertuzzi. That was Sheldon Keefe talking about the gamer, mm. Tyler Bertuzzi. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi <laughs> with you here on the Fan Morning Show. We're here all week trying the veal. <laughs> Speaking of veal, it is very Italian in this room. Almost too Italian for some. Uh, the text line is open, 590-590, name and location. Um, text us your Leaf thoughts. Text us your Blue Jays, Jays. thoughts. Uh, you can you can tweet us because I'm not going to be the guy that ever says X. Because um, what do you do? You X somebody, get lost. I'll never get say lost. that. I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm firmly on that core. Maybe one day I will uh, I will adopt X. But for now, today, I'll always, today is not, it is that, not day. that day. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on, on X at MattyMar89 at Danielli underscore Media. Uh, Gord Stellick will join us in a few minutes here. Um, I, I like the I like what. Sheldon keep talking about with Tyler Bertuzzi there and him being a gamer, because if there's one criticism, I mean, there are many criticisms that I can have for this organization and, and their performances in the playoffs. It does feel like they have missed those types of guys and in abundance, mm-hmm. you can look at the team now and you can say they still don't have in abundance, but at least it feels like they have more. At least you hope that their stars have been, so jaded enough that they know, you know, we've got to do something to turn the corner here. One of the biggest criticisms that you can have with this group, especially in the, not even uh, in the playoffs, it wasn't the, the defense wasn't seemingly the issue. The goaltending even in, in years past was not seemingly the issue. You could, you could quibble about Jack Campbell's performance against the Montreal Canadians in that closing game. But you can also say they've really struggled to score goals in the playoffs. And why do they struggle to score goals in the playoffs? Because they don't have the guys that go to the areas in which you score goals in the playoffs. That's where I think Tyler Bertuzzi is going to be such a good fit. That's where I think Max Domi is going to be such a good fit. And if you can keep getting production from, you know, Bobby McMahon or Nick Robertson, like those types of additions with a little bit of speed changes the dynamic of your team, especially when the games become a little bit tighter and you score a lot of garbage goals in the playoffs. That's what this team needs more. It needs more garbage goals. Nice goals are wonderful, Mm -hmm. but we know that that's not what wins. And so I think what we saw from Tyler Bertuzzi on Saturday with that hat trick, I think you kind of got a glimpse into the player that he can be and also keeping in mind the opponent. That's a Stanley Cup contender. That is not that it was a Stanley Cup feel to the game, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to equate the two, but it is a game that means something to both teams. For for the Leafs, because they want to maintain pace in the Atlantic. But for Colorado, like you don't want to finish second in the central. Because if you're if you're second, you're playing Dallas or Winnipeg. And with Connor Hellebuck, the way he's playing right now and the way Dallas is playing, I don't think that if you're Colorado that you want to be there. That's a very meaningful game for them. So to see Tyler Bertuzzi go out and have a game, and like Sheldon Keefe said, wasn't their best game, but it was a game in which they needed that type of performance, he was there. I think they need guys, to your point, you, you got to have some guys that play with a little bit of an edge and some bite to their game. And they have a few. They don't have it in abundance, historically they've maybe only ever had one or two guys sprinkled throughout the roster that had that type of that type of element to their game but i think it's important and they've if anything we should be well aware by now that that's the type of play you need to have in the playoffs in order to win games when it really matters and my biggest question is well is that going to 
is that going to reveal itself within the core guys of this team within that nucleus? Are those top end players going to play with that type of urgency and that type of zest to where they're willing to kind of score in those, those garbage areas, those dirty areas, because I'm with you. I think, you know, we always point at all the other things, every other flaw that is wrong with this team rather than pointing at, well, ultimately those guys that are getting paid all the money to score goals in the playoffs, they haven't always scored goals. And this is why, Hey, as much as I'm not the, um, a William Nylander defender, right? Oh, no, no I kidding. will say, I will acknowledge that he has been a good playoff performer in the sense that, well, they paid him to score goals and he scored goals, but it's what is Mar- what are Marner and Matthews going to do in the playoffs. And I think that is where, Ultimately, they're good. That'll be how they're judged. Like, it's just, maybe it's not fair, but it is, it is the measuring stick at this point. It's a, Hey, what are you going to do for me in April and May? Are you going that 70 goal pace that we're seeing right now? Is it going to translate in April and May? If it does great, then it validates everything you've done. But if it doesn't, the 70 goals doesn't mean anything. That's, and that's what I think you and I kind of touched on it. Even when we spoke about it on Friday, I feel very similarly about it right now. It's got to translate. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, before we get to Gord Stelic, I want to get to this text. Brandon from Keswick. Be- beliefs are, uh, the Leafs are starting to look like a team that could finally do something in the playoffs. I know it's only the last seven games, but maybe they finally put together the puzzle and what a game by Bertuzzi. Uh, that is pretty much spot on. It's a good segue. Uh, it good is, segue. Uh, Gord Stelic, Sportsnet 590, the Fan Leafs analyst, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network, former NHL GM, also co-author of the book Revival, The Chaotic, Colorful Journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. Is, Gord, is there anything else that I need to add to that the credential <laughs> list there? Uh, well, good morning, Matt, Danielli. Uh, no, I think that's uh, all good right now. I'm, I'm looking forward to hopping on with you trade deadline day as yes, far sir. as that goes. So, yeah, we'll so, add that to the uh, list too. Yes, but other, otherwise, no, like it's funny, these Monday check-ins, you know, about the Toronto Maple Leafs that – uh, uh, on the show, and and uh, I heard you guys talking, and uh, boy, it's um, this is probably the best Monday it's been all year, probably as far if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Yeah, for sure. And the, and and the thing is, Gordo, is they go into Colorado, they go into Denver, high altitude, and they go down two nothing, and you're going, okay, this could just be one of those games. You know, a lot of teams have them when you go on a lengthy streak. Some there's a night that you don't have it and you don't win. There's light nights that you have it or don't have it and you win. That one felt like ah maybe they're just not good enough right now in this game. They go down to nothing, and to me that's why it was the most impressive victory of the streak so far. Albeit the 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 opponent is very good, but they're down to nothing and they could have easily you know lost that game four one and we all would have said okay it's fine like there's nothing wrong with that it, it happens. But they go out they come back four three Tyler Bertuzzi with the hat trick. Um, to me, that was one of those games that you may look back on and say, that was when we kind of knew that this team looked playoff ready. Well, and, 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 you know, Matt, you look at this streak, uh, since Morgan Riley's suspension and obviously Riley's back now, which is, uh, which is great. And the fact they keep winning with him in the lineup is also great, but I, it started with that St. Louis game on the Monday at home, which was really a, a watershed game. Uh, to start the streak, coming coming off what happened in Ottawa and the whole Morgan Riley situation, and then you're right, uh, finishing up with well, maybe it's not over, but finishing up as far as the road goes, they get that they get that penalty. When I say chintzy, chintzy penalty, it wasn't a bad call, but you know, in the first minute, one of those over the glass things, and uh, they call uh, Colorado scores on the power play. And to your point, you're kind of saying, okay, okay, it's just not going to go your way tonight. I mean, you know, the Rangers streak ends against Columbus. 
uh, you know, uh, over the weekend, these things happen from time to time. And I've just, I just, I think what it really shows, and we've been kind of struggling all year to say, to put our finger on it about what is, what's missing with this team this year. They've not had, like when, you know, the year in the bubble, they just killed it in the Canadian division. You know, other times, even last year, okay, you knew. You knew they were going to be, you know, taken on Tampa Bay. You knew they were in the playoffs basically at Christmas time. And I just said, this one's really had an uneven part to this season. And then you see, okay, okay, this is what we're talking about. If they can play like this, you know, and whether the Colorado game was the best game of the season or other games on this trip were, then, then, then we could see this is the team we're talking about that could do damage, realistically could do serious damage in the playoffs. And this is the first time we've seen them play like this on a consistent basis this season. I think that's a great point, Gord. I, 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 you know, it's interesting. It feels like they're better off for sort of dealing with adversity, having to confront adversity because, and not that the last few years they, they haven't had moments of adversity, but in the sense of, well, we kind of from January onwards had a sense of what we were all looking towards. It was game 83 and we knew what playoff opponent they were probably waiting for. Now that there's been moments of, within the course of this 82-game season, consternation about lines, injuries, suspensions, what have you, coaching even, now it feels like because of all those things, they're almost better for it. They're more conditioned and hardened for when we get to game 83 than perhaps they have been in years past. Well, you hope that's the case. You know, you hope that's the case. I mean, I, 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 like, I like that theory. It's just a funny one because we look at last year, the Boston Bruins having a kick-ass season, and years ago, the Tampa Bay Lightning having a regular season for the ages, and both of them got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. But I, I do think, I think it's good to be tested during a regular season, and I also think it's important to show, uh, show to yourselves and everybody from within about, yeah, yeah, you know what? There's a certain height that we reached, and we did it. We did it, so we've got to try to replicate it in the playoffs. So uh, I hope that's the case. Uh, I, you know, again, if they're out in four or five or what have you, I mean, it's going to be another disappointing. We know, but we, you know, we got to wait for that. We got to wait for game number 83 onwards. I just, you know, so Morgan Riley's out. So Timothy Lilligren embraces more ice time. The D as a unit with a couple of, when I say no names, if last off season, they're kind of no names thinking they'd be in the depth chart and play well. This Bobby McMahon guy, like word, like I know he's been up before that, like, wow. We're seeing another dimension there. And in the case of Bertuzzi and Domi, they get a chance. Because I've always said part of it is, and you look at Nick Ritchie was one, David Clarkson was another, that it's like just a regular job. If you don't get off on the right foot sometimes, you never get going, right? Michael Bunting got going and had a, had a career here. Some other guys didn't. These guys really kind of been spinning their wheels, to say the least. So that's been a real, you know, and, and that's where in Brad for Living's got a, a little bit more time to kind of figure out, okay, are, are these the trade deadline pickups? Are these the hired guns, albeit, you know, signed in the summer, but with expiring contracts in both those guys, about Domi and, and, uh, and Bertuzzi, that can, can you know, what, what they've done the last six, seven games, we can see more of it heading down the stretch and in the playoffs. So it's, been a, uh, it's just been a very positive time, both on and off the ice. Okay, so Gord, you mentioned Bradtree living there, and as somebody who's kind of who's occupied that GM seat before and been in some of these discussions as it pertains to preparation for trade deadlines and and the transaction season as a whole, if you're Bradtree living right now, how do you think you approach what this next week and a half is going to look like? And what would you say is the biggest priority for this Leafs hockey club? Because I think you're right in saying, hey, if if that's the version of 
Domi and Bertuzzi that we're going to get for the remainder of the season going into the playoffs. It's a completely different equation altogether because they're, they've added dimensions to their game than the versions of those players that we saw for the first 50-odd games. It's a different, completely different-looking team with the way that they're playing right now. How do you think the GM is potentially sort of visualizing and, and what lens is he viewing his team through right now? So um, how he's viewing, um, I don't know. You know, obviously he's trying to figure out how I view it, Matt. And I've said to you before, and I got off the. So you got yet what three years in a row? Nick Foligno, first round pick, two fourth round picks. Uh, Giordano and Colin Blackwell from Seattle, two second round picks and a third round pick. And last year, you know, you got the big trade: Ryan O'Reilly uh, and Noel Acherry, a first, a second, a third, and a fourth. Then you get Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty, a first and a second. Done. Can't do it anymore. Like you're like what's happening now why they're getting better is you've got your first round pick from years ago, Timothy Lilligren starting looking like he's really fitting in. Matthew Nice has been really fitting in well in that line. He's a second round pick. You got to keep that coming. You got to keep that coming. And also for cap reasons, you've got to have players that are entry level contracts to help keep your cap on side. You talk about having, you know, sparing no expense because there's no cap for the staff. So the Maple Leafs talk about, they have the most extensive deepest staff off the ice going but you never get them a chance to draft. And I'm, and I'm not being cynical about it. They could have that, the, the best staff, but you never give them a chance. You trade all your draft picks. I'm saying no way, no way, no big trade. So you're looking at other ones like to uh, emulate, say, what last year Kyle Dubas did, the Luke Shen trade for a third-round pick to get a depth D or two. Ilya Labushkin for a couple of years ago. I'm not, you know, I'm not, just something like that. You, you, you can't keep trading away prospects and first-round picks. Okay, you, you've re-upped Nylander, you've re-upped Matthews, these are the guys. This is the core. These are the leaders. You double down with them all, and that's a good move. And then let's see what these other players can do that you have right now. That, 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 this, we love it here. It's sexy. Make a big, wow, Ryan O'Reilly. Wow, Nick Foligno. No, no. Like not, not, you cannot keep giving up these assets, and, and you've got to pay the piper at some point. So I'm just saying that's got to stop. And, you know, I, I, I don't want the big splash. Uh, as for, if I'm looking at it from Peter Living's point of view, I don't know what he's thinking. I know if you get Chris Tanab, it's going to cost you a first-round pick, you would think at least. And, you know, I was arguing with Kipper about it, and I go, well, then let's give Tanab the, Nor- the Norse trophy, for God's sakes. Like, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> what, what, like, like, what are we talking about here? You know, so anyway, that's, uh, that's something I obviously am very passionate about uh, this particular year because you've gone to that well three years in a row. Gord Stalick joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Francesca here on the Fan Morning Show. So, you know, talking about, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Bertuzzi before about, you know, the the one-year deal, and it's almost like you have a, a trade deadline acquisition of your own. And and the way he's played of late, it does feel like you didn't really get much out of him the first half of the season, but the second half has certainly been a lot better. When we talk about Tyler Bertuzzi and we talk about the role on this team, you know, they've moved him up to the first power play unit, which I thought was a really shrewd move. I actually thought they probably should have started out the season that way because John Tavares, let's face it, he struggled in that spot, especially in the playoffs last year. It didn't look great. I thought that moving Bertuzzi there was the prudent move by Sheldon Keefe, but Tyler Bertuzzi does things that a lot of guys on this team don't do. And that is he scores in dirty areas. And I know he hasn't done it often, but when we look at the goals that he did score uh, on Saturday, they're within five feet of the net. And that's what this team needs a little bit more of. I look at Tyler Bertuzzi and say, that is the type of player that is going to make a big time contribution for this team come playoff time. And I, I think Max Domi is going to do the same. And I think there's other guys that will make contributions. 
But Tyler Bertuzzi specifically, when you saw the signing, what were your expectations for him coming into this year? Like, were you expecting the 30 goal Tyler Bertuzzi that we've seen in Detroit? Or were you saying like, it, it kind of, not that it doesn't matter what he does in the regular season, but the value you're going to get out of him is in the playoffs. Yeah. It's interesting. The latter one, like I, like I, I viewed it, like let's use Corey Perry as an extreme example. Okay. Like just about, but you, you know that hey, the Corey Perry won the heart trophy, whatever number of years ago, that's not the guy anymore, but look what you got. Look what you've been getting in the playoffs from him. And he's a, you know, a fourth line guy, which Bertuzzi, you're not, you're not ticketing as a fourth line guy, but I, I did, I did like that playoff style to your point, kind of like Edmonton with Evander Kane, whatever you think about Evander Kane in the playoffs, you know, he's a kind of player you want in the playoffs for the Oilers. So, so yeah, that's a big part. I thought because you're, you're thinking any pickup is okay. What can they do in the playoffs? And same with Max Domi, Max Domi, kind of resuscitated his career to agree you know, back-to-back years with Carolina and Dallas and, you know, having half decent playoff runs, you know, personally. So yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, I don't know if I was looking at 30 goals from Tyler Bertuzzi because I don't even know what the number is. I don't even care about the numbers. It's about getting better as a team, but I did think, yeah, the fit was not really happening. Your point, like, and one thing too, John Tavares, when he's on his game, he's a guy that can go to the go in the greasy area. That's one of his strengths, and it's not, you know, there's more playing. I wouldn't say the perimeter nowadays, but more or fewer and fewer players that consistently go to the greasy area, and that's one of the things Tyler Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi did. And you're right, getting a chance to get some get some power play time and embracing it, you know, much like Bobby McMahon's embracing ice time. Like Lilligren's embracing more ice time. Like Matthew Nye's ice time has led him to be kind of a maybe a Zach Hyman uh, comparable as far as starting his uh, NHL career out. So uh, that that's been the great part, whether it's a veteran or a kid uh, seizing the opportunity. Wanted to talk about Tavares a little bit here because you know they move him down to the third line with Robertson, with you know you mentioned Bobby McMahon. And now you look at this Leaf roster and you say, okay, th- this looks like the depth. And and part of the reason why the depth looks good is because they have guys like Robertson and McMahon that are producing now and playing a lot better. But what I feel like it's done for John Tavares is it's allowed him to maybe kind of lay in the weeds a little bit because when he was playing with Bertuzzi and Nylander, like Bertuzzi, yes, he can get in on the forecheck, but he's not, he's not overly fast. And Nylander is not always willing to get in on the forecheck. Whereas, you know, then that that's a lot more work for John Tavares. Whereas when you talk about McMahon and Robertson, those guys are hungry. Those guys want to play, and they're going to do whatever they can to stick in the lineup. And part of that is forechecking for John Tavares to get him the puck. I feel like this move to have him on the third line with those guys might actually add some legs to John Tavares. I'm not saying he's going to get faster, but the wear and tear on John Tavares later on in the season isn't going to be as much because he's not going to have to go into those dirty areas as much. He doesn't have to work in the corners. And I feel like we're seeing kind of a rejuvenated John Tavares playing with those two younger guys. Yeah, I forgot to mention Nick Robertson too. I know he's been around for a while, but seizing the opportunity, but that's another one. So, I think there's an element, like when Ryan O'Reilly came, and I remember the first game, regular season game, and you thought, okay, are they going to go three centers or are they going to, um, are they, is someone going to play on the wing? And the one game Tavares played on the wing, if you remember. But then after that, they didn't really do it. Then O'Reilly got hurt. And it, there was this element, I think, of that, that the pride part that you didn't want to um, tamper with John Tavares' pride to be on the theoretically third line. But then really, when you're, when you're adding a center like Ryan O'Reilly, weren't you looking for depth, bang, bang, bang? 
three deep centers in the playoffs. Like we saw the Boston Bruins do that years ago and be a difference maker in the playoffs. And I, I like, I was like, I, I was a little annoyed about that, you know, saying, geez, that's what you want to do. You want to be three strong centers in the playoffs because depth and balance in the lines really, really matters. And that's something that that's the, a, a big void they've been missing. So I think to your point, this is something we'll see more and more and Sheldon Keefe will figure out how the lines work now, you know, being shuffled a bit so far, obviously when you're on a streak like they are, they've been working great, but I also want three best centers, bang, 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 like three good, strong, deep centers out there. And, you know, whether you want to say Tavares is swallowing his pride or whatever it may be, this is what's best for the team. And to your point, does it play out that it's best for John Tavares? I I like your logic in that respect. I think it's so far so good, at least for the time being, he's looked good in that role. And, um, you you know, it's got to hurt obviously not being on the first power play unit, but at the end of the day, uh, he's, he's a pro and he's, and he's obviously shown that he's been a consummate professional throughout his career. Um, and and he has looked good. It's been beneficial for him, not just, um, performative in terms of his performance. It's also beneficial, obviously for the team Gord. Uh, last one for you here, Joseph wall. He's obviously close to coming back. We saw him with in an AHL stint, uh, over the weekend, made an appearance with the Marlies look good. Ilya Samsonov has been really good as of late, uh, of course, and it's sort of quieted some of the concerns surrounding the goaltending. There hasn't been as much talk and consternation about what the state of the goaltending is for the Maple Leafs. How do you think Sheldon Keefe goes about trying to reintegrate Joseph Wall into this goaltending mix at this juncture of the season? Yeah, uh, you, well, uh, well, we just got to play him, obviously, right? <laughs> Give him games, and, and you know, uh, obviously it's important he gets enough games and that all hypothetically, uh, you want all three, whatever the word playoff ready is. It's funny, a number of teams, like three goalie systems uh, used to be taboo, and you've had a number of teams, like Montreal's one, that have basically done it all season long, which, you know, it's the the way to go, and a lot of teams now know they're going to lose a goaltender on waivers. Boy, the Leafs were really lucky to get Martin Jones at the start of the season down on waivers. So, uh, you got to play him. I'm really big on Joe Well, Again, we're talking draft picks. He was the third-round pick about maintaining draft picks, because you've got to continue drafting, developing from within. And uh, I, I was really impressed what he did in the playoffs last year. I really was. But whoever, like just one of them, whichever one of them, whichever one of them in game number 83, or if it doesn't work out, put the other one in game 84, whatever, that gives them the kind of goaltending that gives you an opportunity to win every game. Because, you know, I keep talking about I was huge, big, big, big Freddie Anderson fan, but he couldn't deliver in the playoffs, you know, and that was the fact. And just whatever it be. And I, I just really liked what I saw to Joe Wall last year. But could it be Martin Jones getting hot? Could it be Samsonov? Fine. I don't care. Whatever it is. You know, hopefully there may be three right ones to pick from, but hopefully you get the one right one. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with uh, with three goalies down the stretch here because I don't know that they're going to be able to sneak uh, Martin Jones through waivers. Not not this time. Uh, Gordo, thanks as always for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Um, and I will see you uh, next Friday. You and I will be hosting um, the, the trade deadline show. So that'll be a lot of fun. Sounds good, Matt. And good talking to you, Daniele, as well. Have a good one. All right, there we go. There he goes. Gord Stelic. Sportsnet, here's the list. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Leafs analyst, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, former NHL GM, also co-author of the book Revival, The Chaotic, Colorful Journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. Did that one with Damian Cox. Great resume. Gordo's Great the, resume. Gordo, Gordo is, the, he is the best. Yep. I love working. I, I can't, I don't, I don't know that I've actually ever hosted a show with Gord. 
So I'm really looking forward to trade deadline next Friday for multitude of reasons. But one is working with uh, El Gordo, mm-hmm. as he likes to refer to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Jays baseball on the air again today. Uh, one o'clock or one o seven first pitch. They'll take on the Pittsburgh Pirates in Dunedin at TD Ballpark. Uh, ben Shulman, the Blue Jays radio play-by-play voice, will join us when we come back. Um, get his takeaways from the first weekend. Um, uh, if if Tim, what other punishments we might find <laughs> out about next year's fantasy football uh, league with the Jays, and uh, wanted to talk to him about who outside of the guys, whether it be, you know, the guys in the rotation or Vladdy and Bo, that is going to be the most impactful. And maybe it's the guy that hit the home run yesterday. We heard Ben's call earlier on in the show, uh, Alejandro Kirk. We'll see who that guy is for Ben. Uh, ben Shulman, when we come back, this is the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan morning show. Where's that the fun the Come on, that's great. That is the voice of Daniele Franceschi. This is the voice of Matt Marchese. And you don't listen to a lot of music, which I've learned about you. Yeah. Very musically illiterate. Oh, I'm musically illiterate too. Like, can't play an but instrument. But I'm, I'm far worse than you are. And, well, even however you describe it. I love, I love I, music. Okay. So the, this is definitely your ringtone, isn't it? No, no, I don't have a ringtone. <laughs> you think I have a ringtone? I don't even like It's whatever ringtones. the basic, you know, Apple ringtone is. That's all it is. That that does that got me fired up on today, and I mean Saturday specifically. Hearing that, so just, so that means if that got you fired up, then the 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 voice of our next guest yes. definitely got you fired up, 100%. especially with that Alejandro Kirk home run over the weekend. It's Ben Shulman, Blue Jays radio play-by-play voice. You'll hear Ben later today, uh, spring training baseball on Sportsnet from TD Ballpark. Uh, they host the Pittsburgh Pirates in Dunedin. First pitch scheduled for 107. It'll be Ben, Buck Martinez, and Hazel May on the call. Ben, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Are the, are Thanks the, for doing it. Are the birds chirping, Ben? <laughs> Where's the chirp? I need uh, the, the ambiance of spring training, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> the birds are chirping. Uh, you know, the fans are are yelling for balls and warm up. Oh, that's great. Uh, it, it's uh, it's been fun. It was it was cool. Uh, you mentioned the Kirk home run. It was cool yesterday to to get to check out. Uh, you know, the Yankee ballpark in Tampa. There were a lot of Blue Jay fans there when Kirk homered. It was about as loud. Maybe maybe not as loud as when Juan Soto homered for the Yankee fans, but it was pretty close uh, to as loud as it got. So uh, it's been fun so far. So first weekend of spring training baseball, the Jays go 0-2. There's a lot of runs scored against them and blah, 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 whatever. It's first two games of spring training. But when you look at these first two games, um, what what was your biggest takeaway from the weekend? Uh, you know, I think some, some really – you can't buy too much into anything good or sure. bad. But – uh, you know, I think it was nice to see Dalton Varsho come up with two pretty clutch hits and make some solid contact in his first two at bats. Obviously, he's a guy that they're relying upon to help the offense improve this year, and and people always want them to be a bit more left-handed heavy if he can slide up in the lineup like they had had him, uh, you know, at earlier points in the season last year. That would be big for them. 
Uh, you know, there were some great pitching performances in day one. Jack Dallas obviously headlined that, but uh, a couple guys in the back end of that game I thought pitched really well, too. Uh, Flu Hardy pitched well in that game, I believe. I think T.J. Brock pitched well in that game. So, uh, you know, that that was nice to see. And then you go to yesterday, and although, uh, you know, they, they for the most part, uh, you know, were down a lot to the Yankees the entire game, uh, you still had, you know, Davis Schneider making a diving catch in left field. I think that's really encouraging. If, if Davis Schneider is going to be, uh, you know, a, a big part of this team, they're going to need him to play some second and some left as platoons for Biggio or for one of the outfielders when uh, lefties in. You got Kirk obviously homering, which is big. He, uh, you know, along with Farshaw and some other guys, is, is supposed to help the offense, you know, improve this season if he can get back to his 2022 kind of production. And then, uh, you know, they end up getting a, a basis clearing double from. Alan Roden yesterday, uh, which is pretty cool. One, one of the, the rising prospects that I don't think people hear about as much as in a relative or Barger, he's still a little bit further away, but was really, really good at double A last year. And to see his first swing go into the left center field gap was, was pretty cool. So a lot of fun individual stuff. Uh, and, you know, the results of the games, win or loss, I mean, honestly really couldn't matter less. Yeah, no question, but I think that that's completely secondary. But I was trying to explain that to Matt, too. I was like, you know, it's just the whole, even, I mean, it, it popped on the screen on Saturday afternoon. It was the whole aesthetic of it. Um, and it just made me feel like we were actually getting closer to summer, which was great. Like, I enjoyed that aspect of it uh, because, yeah, I, I mean, performance-wise, I, I guess it was it was very encouraging to see Kirk do what he did yesterday, going deep in his first at-bat. It was encouraging to see Varsho make some solid contact. Obviously great to see Bichette and Justin Turner do what you hope they will continue to do uh, throughout the balance of the entire 2024 season. And that kind of gets me to the offense for a second because on Saturday specifically in watching and listening to the broadcast, yourself and, and Buck Martinez, Buck kept making the point about, you know, a lot of people are talking about how this Blue Jays offense, there's really obviously plenty of room for improvement compared to where they were a year ago. That being said, it might not necessarily come in the form of more power. And Buck continues to sort of reinforce that point and saying they got to be more creative in how they manufacture and generate offense. You get that sense as well. Like this team, even though as much as we're all sitting here saying, okay, well, it can't be worse than last year, even that will what the offensive improvement will translate it to be is them just having more cohesive of at bats, a better approach and not necessarily just an uptick in power. Yeah. I think especially when you talk about home runs, uh, you know, this team two years ago did, or three years ago, I guess now 2021 hit the most home runs in major league baseball. They should hit more home runs this year. Don't get me wrong. Like it's more than likely that Vlad hits more home runs this year than last year. Turner hits for uh, you know a bit more power than Brandon Belt did, and a couple other guys could have upticks too. But they're not they're not going to add like in my opinion sixty five to seventy home runs all of a sudden to their team. That's not you know they didn't bring in anyone. Um, that is going to hit 35, 40 home runs this year, more than likely. Uh, that wasn't on the team last year. So I think they can have a little bit more power in terms of doubles and, and stuff like that. They, uh, I talked about this a little bit yesterday on the radio, but uh, the clutch hitting factor 
or the hitting with runners in scoring position, they got their batting average back up to around middle of the pack by the end of the year. They they had a lot of hits, you know, especially when the Buffalo guys came up, they had a lot of hits mm-hmm. with runners in scoring position in the back half of the season. But the slugging percentage with runners in scoring position was still pretty low. Uh, and that's not uh, that doesn't mean they need grand slams and three-run homers all the time, but there's a big difference when you hit doubles or triples occasionally than hitting singles in the fact that you can score multiple runs or, hey, if the bases are loaded, you might clear the bases, where it felt like a lot of the time last year, even when the Blue Jays were getting hits with runners in scoring position, it would be like bases loaded, you drop a single into right field, everyone moves up 90 feet, and now you need someone else to come up with a hit. Um, So I think that's a part of it. And then, you know, how many times last year did it seem like, oh, well, if they just get a fly ball here, or ground ball to the right spot, <laughs> it might work out, and it, and it didn't. So that's not about hitting home runs. So, yeah, I, I think Buck is right. You know, I do think they'll hit for a bit more power, um, but I don't think that that solves the entire problem. I, I think that, um, you know, they have to be able to string it together a little bit better, or when they're not coming up with hits, uh, you know, running into more productive outs than maybe they did last year. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Like, And I, maybe that even touches on what Bo Bichette had mentioned in his first availability of the spring about a week ago, where he talked about how we can't give at bats away. And maybe that's as simple as like, if we can, it's better to have a productive out than a non-competitive at bat. And there were too many of those last year for this team. We all love homers. I mean, they're sexy. It's great. It's fun. But they're in a position where clearly to your point, Ben, they didn't go out and bring in a couple true middle of the order uh, bats that are capable of being elite run producers. They're going to still have to be creative in how they generate their offense. And part of that equation is going to be Don Mattingly in the sense that he's he's now serving as this team's offensive coordinator. All of a sudden, we're playing a little bit of football as opposed to baseball. But he's gone from bench coach to offensive coordinator. And from being down there, early days of spring, What is what, what are you gauging from the players in terms of the messaging that Don Mattingly has provided to uh, these Blue Jays hitters? I think it's a lot of that stuff that Bichette was talking about. Yeah, they want to they want to be tough outs, and, and a productive out I think comes in a couple different ways. It can be advancing the runner. It can obviously be sacrifice fly. It can simply be you know like sometimes you're going to pop up or strike out, but make it take seven or eight pitches. You know, don't go down in the first three pitches, and you still help the team out if you've burned a bunch of pitches from that pitcher and allowed the guys to see his stuff. So I think he's talked a lot about that about team offense. Uh, Buck and I kind of talked about the juxtaposition of that. You know, a lot of people look at baseball as a very individual game. And in some ways, it's certainly, uh, you know, I I can see why people see it that way. But you are a team and can work together from at bat to at bat to help put stuff together. So I think, you know, he just wants to do that uh, and really wants to make sure that the guys feel comfortable with the plan that they have going up there. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's more of an offensive focus for him than last year where he was split in between. Um, but he's still working with a lot of the same guys as are the players from last year. They just want to make sure that the guys I think are put in a spot to do what they do best essentially. Uh, and, and uh, you know, again, it's hard to know, but uh, the, the early, uh, the early returns from spring training were pretty solid. You had mentioned, I mean, Bo Turner, like every time they went kind of through two through five, 
in the first game for the Blue Jays, there was a lot of offense being generated. So it's hard to know what will happen yet, but uh, it, it does seem like the players have responded pretty well to it so far. Ben Schulman, Blue Jays radio play-by-play voice, joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So, you know, you've been spring training about a week, I guess. Um, what's the vibe around the team? Because they're... In I know in this market and maybe even around baseball, it doesn't feel like there are a lot of expectations for this Jays team who won 89 games last year, got really good results out of their pitching staff without their, you know, one of their two aces that we, you know, or at least we thought he was going to be coming into the year. The offense wasn't there. The, the rotation was really good. But does it feel like a team that maybe is looking at this season like, there aren't a lot of expectations for us. People don't, there's some people that think we're going to finish last in the division. Um, do, do they look relaxed? Because I know coming into last year and even the year prior, there were a lot of expectations and, and maybe they didn't live up to them. Certainly offensively, they didn't last year. But is there a sense of like, we're just going to go out and play ball here because, you know, that's what what we can't, that's in our control and we can't control the noise around us. But we also are in a position where, you know, we can still improve on last year. It's scary to think that, you know, we can still improve on last year and it would be a big shock to everyone, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a different attitude around the team. I do think to a certain extent they're enjoying being on the other side of it. I mean, at the end of the day, offseason predictions and expectations of fans and everything – really only means so much the you know the Arizona Diamondbacks fans and the and maybe the Texas Ranger fans because they've made some big moves might have thought that they were gonna make the World Series I don't know but there weren't a lot of people predicting that certainly when the Rangers crumbled a bit down the stretch no one was predicting that they'd make that run and the Diamondbacks had the worst record going into the playoffs so the expectations I think they know are a bit random and and, and don't have that much of a bearing but uh, you know Bobichet talked about it. it's not like they don't see it um you know like it'd be a lie to say that they don't see everything because um, they they certainly see some stuff and and guys have pride and they want to prove people wrong and and it does seem like they they are enjoying a little bit being on that side of it rather than everyone expects them to be something um, and they have to prove that they're that thing so I, I think they like that I do think a lot of that noise uh, is a little bit louder as it always is for every team inside uh, you know Toronto and Canada. Uh, than it is outside. Like I, I, I won't name them, but I was talking to uh, someone recently who who covers more nationally, and he's actually very high on the team. Uh, he thinks this is the this is the time they're going to break out, right when a lot of people aren't expecting it to. But uh, I think the team is, has come in with a lot of uh, you know seriousness. Although it's you know it's so hard to know because it's just spring training stuff, and you're not going to say like we're coming in not taking it seriously. That would be, that would be ridiculous. But, uh, you know, it does seem like they're coming in serious. They, they enjoy having something to prove here. Uh, and they don't mind, uh, you know, not being everyone's darling this year uh, to go to the World Series or, or to do something big because, frankly, being everyone's darling uh, hasn't helped them win any games in the past. So I, I think it is interesting. It, it definitely feels like a different team than it did uh, you know, last year or even a couple previous years, even though a lot of the personnel is the same, the, the attitudes just seem a little bit different. And hopefully that's a positive for the Blue Jays this year, Ben. Uh, you know, it's it's always funny. Every year you see the kind of the juxtaposition between like local media and then the national media and the ter- interpretation of, of the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think that's been sort of magnified like coming into this season and certainly last year as well because everybody here was freaking out about the offense. And, and then you see still like around baseball, for example, everybody's freaking out about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. here in Toronto and the type of season he had. And then 
around the sport, everybody's like, well, no, Vladdy's still an elite player, right? Like it's, it was just a weird dichotomy that existed. And I think it's still, it's a good point that you, uh, uh, that you raised there, because I do think that there is a lot of validity to that. And we see it frequently when it comes to not just the Blue Jays, but a lot of the Toronto teams versus how they're perceived uh, nationally in the grander scheme of their respective sports. Um, I did want to ask about a guy that's actually not on the roster right now, but Maybe there's a little bit of reunion in the cards uh, with Matt Chapman. And so Cody Bellinger has to wait the entire offseason and he gets a contract yesterday that winds up being three years, 80 million, includes a couple of opt outs after the first and second years. And that got, I think, a lot of people thinking, all right, well, would it make sense for the Blue Jays to potentially circle back? to Matt Chapman. Ben, where do you kind of land on that discourse? And and would a reunion with Matt Chapman make sense for the Toronto Blue Jays? It's it's uh, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think there are a lot a lot of layers to it. Um, no doubt, you know, Matt Chapman is an incredibly talented baseball player, even though he didn't have his best offensive season last year. Uh, you know, he still, if you're a war person, was one of the most valuable people uh, or players on the team. His defense is, is really, really solid. And, and even his down year last year, um, you know, it, it was it was uh, it was kind of uh, under the radar that he had one of the highest doubles counts and extra base hit counts in all of baseball. And, and they do need power. Um, so that's certainly, uh, you know, it's something that would help them out. It, it is interesting. You know, it really does seem like they're priming IKF to play a lot of third they just brought him in so what would they do if they brought in chapman uh does ikf shift to like a second base and outfield platoon does that affect david schneider uh or Kevin biggio two guys who both hit pretty well near the end of last season uh and what kind of deal is chapman looking for i think it's interesting because uh, the blue jays do not have a ton of guys locked down past 2025 like at the end of 2025, if they haven't extended some people over the next couple of years, a lot of the guys that are in Blue Jay uniform right now will be free agents. Do they want to commit to someone past that point if they if they don't know right now what the future of the team is going to be? So if it was something short term, um, you know, like let's say he you know he wanted a, a prove it kind of deal uh, to go back to market again. Um, I, I think that's something that they they would look at and potentially be interested in if he is still looking for a longer-term contract, or I don't know what he's looking for, but that's what the reports at least say. Um, then I wonder if, they'll, if they'd want to commit to that. But certainly Matt Chapman helps your team get a little bit better. Uh, sometimes you got to accept the deal that's on the table for you and not the one necessarily that you want. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Matt Chapman. Ben, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Greatly appreciate it and have a great call today. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. There he goes. Ben Shulman, Blue Jays radio play-by-play voice. He'll actually be on TV today uh, yes, sir. As, as the Blue Jays host the Pittsburgh Pirates in Dunedin at TD Ballpark. That first pitch scheduled for 107. Ben on the call with Buck Martinez and Hazelmate. Just quickly before we, we get to some other mm-hmm. bit of business, um, the Cody Bellinger deal, you mentioned it there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Scott Boris isn't super impressed with teams at this juncture of the season, <laughs> which, which, yeah, he not, which he isn't normally. Well, he but, usually dominates the off season though. And this one's been a tricky one for well, him. Well, it's also the cycle, right? Like there's this, we ha- we see this every year where there are lots of good players that are still available. Blake Snell is still out. There. I think it's terrible for baseball, by the way. I don't like it either. I think it's awful for baseball that there are marquee guys, guys who are proven 
veteran major leaguers with pedigree that are still without a job. And we're a week, two weeks for pitchers and catchers. We're, we're in spring training. Like we're in yeah. now the doldrums of spring training. We're getting there to where we have games every day. And these guys are still without a home. And it took like Cody Bellinger waited months on end to sign a three-year deal with multiple opouts for after having a incredible resurgence season. And you know what the problem is? All these people are too damn smart. They're all too, they're, they're too much nerd information coming at us all the time <laughs> because on the surface, Bellinger had a good season, right? But what would the peripheral statistics tell you? He's not worth the money. Yeah. That's what they tell you. And to me though, it is a problematic because every other sport doesn't have this same issue. If you have a good seat, heck I Bruce Brown, you know, won an NBA championship with the, the nuggets currently with the Raptors, of course. And he parlayed that into a multi-year deal worth $20 million a season with the Indiana Pacers that lasted three months. And then the Pacers shipped him over to Toronto. Right. But still the principle of him being able to perform well with his previous team and then get rewarded for it by signing a contract to me still is valuable and important in sports. It happens in every other league except for major league baseball. Part of it is the process of not having a hard and fast deadline attached to free agency. I think that also like if there was a date, a drop dead date, or even a period, a specific period that you were permitted to negotiate within, I think that would incentivize teams to have to make decisions. But this is just a case where you mentioned Snell. I didn't even, I almost forgot about Blake Snell, but Blake Snell is an elite frontline starting pitcher who doesn't have a deal right now. And Bellinger, who was just having had a resurgent season hit for a 300 average, 20 plus homers, 90 plus RBI, a former MVP in his own right, all of that, and he's just signed his deal. Matt Chapman, of course, he's going to be sitting there, and as much as I am I was in the camp of, yeah, I'm good, I don't want to see another Matt Chapman at bat, realistically, he was still worthy of being signed by a team and making a decent amount of money. Well, his, like, and his defense speaks for itself. Right? It I mean, totally does. Yeah. And if you're the Blue Jays, to circle this back to the Jays, as much as I don't, I'll be bemoaning the fact that he's hitting sixth in the lineup in August when he's hitting 215, I'll be sitting there cringing at it. I'll still say right now, if you can get him on a one plus one, so an app, uh, a two-year deal with an option after the first year, for example, you probably should do it Yeah, because it makes your team better. Like IKF, all due respect, gold glover uh, defense at, at third base. He was a gold glove winner in 2020 at that position. All due respect to him, man. He's still, Matt Chapman is a better option there. 100%. I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I do wonder if they could get him on a one for one. Uh, time now for Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Nineteen plus bet responsibly. We're looking at the Toronto Raptors at the Indiana Pacers. Tip off at seven p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Raptors underdogs here, six and a half points. The total is two hundred and forty four and a half. The money line, uh, if you're looking at the Raptors, plus two hundred. If you're looking at the Pacers, minus two fifty. Um, the Pacers riding a three-game winning streak. They look to make it four straight when they host the Raptors tonight. The Raptors themselves have won two games in a row, and they happen to come on the heels uh, on back-to-back nights, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't happen all that often with this Raptors group. <laughs> um, beating the Atlanta Hawks on Friday, a, a good night for Emmanuel quickly. He was got 24 points. Grady Dick had 18. Um, a, a pretty impressive performance considering. If I'm looking at this game, I'm leaning the over and I know that that total is really high and you know where I'm going with this 
Both of these teams can't play defense. No total is too high <laughs> with the Indiana Pacers involved. They are the worst, worst defensive team in all of basketball. They literally do not try or care on that end of the floor. You cannot go wrong. It's 245 and a half. No, no number is too high, man. They, they are, they've allowed the third most points in the league, which is shocking because they're the sixth team in the sixth seed in the yeah, East right now. They're yeah. a game ahead of Orlando. Um, and, and I mean, I just, this is a, this is an epidemic in basketball period. Nobody wants to play defense outside of like three teams. Nobody wants to play defense and the Raptors. I mean, sometimes they try, but they're not very good at it. Um, and the Pacers just don't try. So to me, I'd be leaning, I'd be leaning the over 245 and a half on this one. The Raptors also uh, 27, 29 and one against the spread this year. Uh, the Pacers are 31, 25 and three against the spread this year. Um, Pacers are just healthier than they were the last time these two teams played too. Yeah. Like they were so banged up. Uh, no Mathurin, no. Yeah, uh, Mathurin didn't play. Uh, no uh, Miles, Turner Miles Turner didn't play. I mean, to me, this feels like a big night for the Pacers at home. Uh, I wouldn't be touching the spread. I wouldn't. Uh, but I, I like, I know we like to cheer for points. We like points scored. <laughs> Let's be real here. It's basketball. There'll be lots of points. <laughs> uh, well, and there'll be lots of points scored because these two teams don't like to play defense. That was Rake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus bet responsibly. When we come back, more Leafs chat. Uh, we'll look around the league as well with Frank Saravelli from Daily Faceoff. Also, got to get to this text. Uh, this from Kyle in Paris. Um, I've got my espresso and Tadali ready to listening to, <laughs> to go listening to you two guys. Uh, thank you very much. Kyle, Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.